It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Monday. It is back the Locked On Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. I am your man on the ground, publisher of Wolverines Way, Isaiah Hole. I don't know why I did that so backwards, but I did. Uh, so that's a thing. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about the piece that I posted on s- Sunday, I think. Was it Sunday? Yeah. Uh, of the uh, other Big Ten coaches, it doesn't. It's from uh, it's it's from Athlon Sports. It does not specify if these are just assistant coaches or if these are head coaches or whatever. Uh, but they talk about Michigan. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff coming out of that. So we will start with that. See where we go. See if it, how long it takes, and we'll go from there. Uh, first, have fantasy football questions you need answered before your draft. Don't miss the Locked On Fantasy Live. On Wednesday, August 18th, that's in two days, at 9 p.m. Eastern streaming on the Lockdown NFL YouTube page. Subscribe now so you don't miss it. Our stable of fantasy experts will answer your questions live or submit them ahead of time to the at On Network on Twitter. I had a lot of definite articles in there for no reason. They weren't in the text, but I went with it. Anyhow... Let's uh let's get into this. I think it's really interesting. Uh some of these uh some of these things that the coaches said about Michigan. Some of them I thought were spot on, some of them I didn't. I, I opined in in the article, but I will go much further, of course, here on the podcast. Uh so first thing said if you took the name Michigan off, most coaches in the country would be happy to have the success they've had, happy to have the players on that roster, and you would assume it's a stable, functional program. Most of us wish we could hit 9 and 10 wins a year as a baseline, but they're Michigan, so we all expect them to be better. I mean, I think that one is spot on. I think the expectations at Michigan are to be what Ohio State is right now, despite the fact that Michigan has never been that, but... uh. And obviously the expectation is to beat Ohio State significantly more than twice in 20 years. But at the same time, no other school is really doing it, right? Like Clemson's got a couple wins over Ohio State. Michigan State earlier in the 2010s got a couple wins over Ohio State. Uh, there there aren't many schools that have multiple wins over the Buckeyes. Uh, obviously, those schools have more recent wins. But overall, it's not like anyone really has sustained success against Ohio State. But that's I think that that clouds the judgment. And I think you'll see some of the uh, some of the things that some of the peop- other coaches said kind of fall in line with this weird thinking about what about what's gonna you know what what's expected of Michigan not saying Michigan shouldn't be better because I think it should be I mean the fact that we're going into 2021 and it, it seems like people are counting 
Wisconsin and Penn State is auto losses. Lord knows that that's what the ESPN, uh, SP Plus, and FPI, I believe, predict. Is that it's it's more likely than not that Michigan loses both of those games. That's the bigger failure to me than not beating Ohio State because no one's doing it. And like I've talked about, Ohio State has had sustained success. 11 Warriors went even further, and it's been 100 years, really, of sustained success. Like, very little downtime. Michigan was considered that before the Rich Rod era, at least very little downtime, save for the Bump Elliott era. And just even though it was mediocre Michigan in the 90s, Michigan obviously beat Ohio State, but it was widely considered a program just year after year just was going to going to get to 8, 9, 10 wins any given year. So I think that that's, that's pretty spot on because for all of the talk of Jim Harbaugh as a failure, that, that's due to the expectations heaped upon him, not the expectations that he gave himself, right? He came into Michigan and said on December 30th, 2014, I make no guarantees. Yet everyone said, you know, it's going to be a couple years and Michigan will start winning national championships. That hasn't happened I think everyone's disappointed, Harbaugh included. I mean, things clearly have not gone to the level of what he was doing at at the tail end of Stanford nor what he was doing at San Francisco. But still, I, th- I think that what Michigan's done under Jim Harbaugh has been very good. It's just it hasn't been excellent, which is what he came to this program for it to be. And I think a lot of people forget what Michigan was before Jim Harbaugh in the Rich Rod and Brady Hoke years. And sometimes I think those years, particularly the end of Rich Rod, just not having a defense, people are starting to say, well, if they had a defense, then this could have been a national championship team. Maybe, but he didn't. He had the worst defense in the Big Ten. So that one is hard to, uh, to really get into. All right, we'll do one more and then we'll take a break. Because, uh, yeah, this is probably going to take the whole episode. Leaving time because I didn't know how much I was going to really want to delve in, but I clearly want to delve in. All right, here's what they said. They look like they're undecided on offense, like there's too many cooks. No one thinks that's the exact offense Josh Gaddis wants to be calling. That's that's a narrative that won't die. I mean, it, it feels like it started with Michigan fans after the Army game in week two of 2019. But... I mean, I've, I've said here on this podcast, I've had these conversations with relevant people who have told me that this is Josh Gaddis's offense. Like, there, are, there is some degree to which he hasn't been able to necessarily run everything he wants to, I don't think, because he hasn't had a quarterback that he recruited, for instance. He hasn't had all of the pieces that he wanted, for instance. He spent two years working with what he inherited for the most part. I mean, yeah, there's some pieces that were, you know, around when he, when he arrived, but at the same time, it's, it's not like this is exactly it, right? You look at like Ben Mason, for instance, like, yeah, he was a square peg in a round hole for the Gaddis offense, but he was on the roster. They had to play him. So I wouldn't say it's, I said 99% of it is, is, Gaddis, but I mean, some of it is just personnel driven, right? He always talks about putting his players in a position to succeed. 
And some of that just means utilizing players in this in a way that you hope that you could utilize them. Now, has it been great? No. He still seemingly had been learning on the fly last, even last year. But as far as like I confirmed that army game running the, in, a lot in the fourth quarter, that was entirely Gaddis. Everyone said, well, Harbaugh took back the offense. Here's another thing. And I think I said this on the podcast uh, last week. I had this conversation with a colleague as well. People think like to think of Harbaugh offenses for whatever reason as being like line up and run, run up the middle and that's it. When remember what Harbaugh's offense was essentially in the first two years when it was Jed Fish and Tim Drevno. I mean, that was like a Harbaugh offense, and it looked like a Harbaugh offense. It was extremely creative. Yes, it was pro style, but it was extremely creative. That's what he's always run. He's always run really creative offenses. It only changed when Pep Hamilton took over. That's when suddenly it 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 kind of became this slower ball control, methodical offense. It seemed like he ceded control of the offense a bit to Pep Hamilton then even though, like he said, it was a collaborative effort. But you look at the collaboration before Pep Hamilton and during, it's that's when suddenly we got that stigma that this Michigan offense is actually, under Harbaugh, is, is just, hey, line up and run a dive. You know, that's not... I, th- I think that, that's it's a weird narrative. Uh, but yeah. All right, we are going to move on, and we've got plenty more to talk about here, plenty more to dissect. I think this is super interesting. Uh, Considering how many people have read this article, I'm sure a lot of you have as well. Uh, I think that it's interesting to, you know, a lot of people out there as well. But uh, before we do, hey guys, there are few things in life that just aren't fun to talk about. One of them is excessive sweating. You know, when you're sweating through your shirts for no reason, it's embarrassing, right? Some of you may know that I personally have dealt with this. When I speak in public, I can't help but sweat through my shirt. Now, listen, I know this isn't life and death, and there are much worse problems in the world, but let's be honest. In the moment, it feels like a big deal. Nobody likes to pit out during an important speech interview or first date, God forbid. I'd much rather not worry about it, and that's why I use sweat block antiperspirant wipes. Sweatblock is stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. You simply apply it at night before bedtime, go to bed. The next morning you wake up, wash, and you go about your day without worrying about sweat. Guaranteed. I know this will sound too good to be true, but I literally only have to use Sweatblock once or twice a week, and it keeps me dry the whole time. No more pitting out. No more picking my shirts based on which one will hide sweat better. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out Sweatblock. Get it for 20% off at sweatblock.com do that today use the promo code locked on or you can get it at amazon or cvs it's kubota orange day shop the years of best selection of kubota tractors zero turn mowers and utility vehicles including the number one selling compact tractor in the usa and now through june 30 get zero percent apr for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. All right. I like when I look at my article, because I'm, I'm reading off of my article here. 
<laughs> like how I put it, Captain Obvious chimes in. I don't even remember which one this is. This is the first thing I w worked on at like 8 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, or whatever day I did it. I think it was Sunday. What they said, the defense fell apart on them, and now they're probably going to move to a more NFL-style 3-4, and that's really going to be interesting to see with Don Brown having been their identity for so long. Wow. <laughs> Real great insight. What's next? Well, Michigan has 11 players on both sides of the field. They they do use a quarterback uh, to, to lead their offense. They like to use running backs, wide receivers. They've got different coaches that coach different positions. Just real breaking breaking news right there. It's just straight up just an intelligent insight. Whoever said that phoned it in so hard. <laughs> I mean... That's the most obvious of obvious things. Yes, it will be different. Now, I, I kind of get the impression that the defense is going to be a bit better than what we, what we think, just kind of based off some conversations. So that's good. But that you couple that with the... Because like I was told, guys flying around and being in the right position. So that's good. But then you, you look at, at like everything I've talked to you guys about with Don Brown his predictability as far as play calling and the fact that he was telegraphing everything and teams knew what was going on. I mean, just by virtue of, of change, having some kind of competency at the top is going to help tremendously. So, I mean, Michigan needs a couple things for this year to work out. It needs a defense that goes from what, whatever they were, 83rd, 84th, I keep on forgetting. Get up into the, like the 30, 40 range, which I think is absolutely doable. And an offense that, I mean, the offense doesn't have to be people want me to say it's going to be top 10 or whatever. I know that's the goal, but I mean, honestly, if the offense could just go from being a perennial like 50, 60, 70, 80, up to like 30 or 40, then that's good. And maybe you don't necessarily even need that because I, I would bet that 2016, the offense probably, which I know it was ranked like in the 60s, I believe, in 2016. I mean, they took the foot off the gas because games were completely in hand and they brought in all of those younger players. Remember, like they had so many of the 2016 class playing right away. So, yeah, it's just Captain Obvious. Uh, all right, the next one. A smart way to look at the program is the quarterback position. When is the last time they've had a remarkable game-changing quarterback play? Compare that to the schools they're supposed to keep company with, Ohio State and Penn State. They're over overhauling the QB room because they know it's been a weak spot. Well, I mean, it's not like they're overhauling the QB room. I mean, these are all guys they've recruited. They're not overhauling it. It's just it's guys have transferred out who weren't going to play, and Cade McNamara is the one who's left, and it sounds like he's doing really good based off of our conversation with Jim Harbaugh on Friday. And, and with Penn State, like, okay, Penn State had one really transcendent quarterback, and I wouldn't even say really transcendent, but it had a – one transcendent quarterback in Trace McSorley. Sean Clifford has not been anything. Christian Hackenberg wasn't anything. I think that that's 
Will Levis lasted for a year and is gone already. Ohio State is the one that has game-changing quarterback play. And again, I think Wilton Spate, I think, I mean, Jake Rudock had a really good last third of the 2015 season. Was game-changing to some degree there. Wilton Spate pre-injury, pre-Iowa injury, that is, was game-changing. I know he wasn't a fan favorite, but he got the job done, had a really good completion percentage, made the right reads, hit the right receivers. I mean, that offense was incredible. People wanted something a little bit more flashy and dynamic, but I mean... I, he got the job done. I, I'd say he was above average, and I'd say the same thing about Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson had uh, two of the best seasons of any Michigan quarterback ever. I know people don't want to regard that. I understand that some of them aren't going to be in the record books, like Rick Leach, for instance, I don't believe is on the list of passing leaders, but he was a difference maker. I mean, Denard Robinson was the biggest game-changing quarterback that Michigan's had in my lifetime probably and no I'm not saying any of these people are the are like those guys but Shea Patterson was a very good passer in two years he surpassed a, a lot of storied Michigan quarterbacks on the passing leaders list he looked really good for a, a really long time in 2018 and the latter quarter of 2019. Again, I think it's recency bias that people look back at this last year and just think, well, Michigan's just look at their quarterback play. It's bad. All right. If you want to say it was bad in 2020, it was. But, and is it, has it been on the level of Ohio state? No, but it's, it's been similar to Penn state save for, you know, they haven't had that transcendent quarterback like Trace McSorley. Now, that said, they do need, if they want to achieve the things like beat Ohio State, college football playoff, they didn't necessarily need it in 2016 and 2018. 2016, you just needed some penalties not called, really, or maybe Wilton just not getting an injury or making the mistakes he ended up making down the stretch. And and then in 2018, you just needed a defense that wasn't predictable against the best team you were going to face. And you would have been there. So I don't even think you need a transcendent quarterback necessarily. I mean, you wouldn't have, I should say. Now against Ohio State, yeah, you probably do. All right, let's see where we at our, our add on time. Okay, we are going to take the quick break, and then we will get back to the rest. There's only a few more here anyway. Uh, two more, so perfect timing. Uh, all right, I got to tell you a little something about Built Bar. You all know how much I love Built Bar. If you don't know what Built Bar is, it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I mean, I have two at a time when I have them. I forgot to order this past week, so I need to get on that because that would be the smart thing to do since, you know, I love Built Bar and I don't have any and I could use one or two right now. I'm a big fan of the peanut butter brownie. That's my personal favorite, but there's so many delicious flavors. If you don't know about it, it's high protein, low calorie, low carb. It's everything you want out of a protein bar. You can have two. You can still be well under what's anticipated from a meal replacement bar because that's what I sometimes use them as or as a quick snack. They're incredible. So go to built.com, put in promo code LOCK15, get 15% off your next order. 
built.com promo code locked 15. All right. Also got to tell you about betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. College football is going to be back in a matter of weeks. Major league baseball still going field of dreams game, Miggy watch all of those things, but bet online even covers award shows, TV shows, reality TV, Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, the scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. So head over to BetOnline.ag. Sign up today. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your 50% welcome bonus at your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we have two more of these coaching things to get through. We will get to that momentarily. Uh I am excited because pieces of the video set have started to arrive today. I did hurt my back today, so I'm also probably not going to be assembling stuff quite yet. But like I told you before, we are going video with the podcast. And Wolverine's Wire is going to have a lot more video content. Uh, The plan is, and it sounds like we are good to go with the the special guest who's going to do uh, one one show a week with me on Wolverine's wire as well as uh, the preview, the game preview on Fridays. So it's uh get, get very excited for that. I know, I know it's one of those people, those names that I know you are going to get super amped about right up there with when we had Mike Martin doing the show with us before. So uh, I think it's uh it's going to be something that's very exciting. So anyway, let's continue. Get back to this. What they said is they recruit really well, but they still lack the top-end speed Ohio State has. I don't think you could call anything they've done under Jim Harbaugh as explosive. I don't know that I entirely agree with that. I mean, like I said here, the measure is strictly against Ohio State, then every team in the conference is going to lose that battle. Right? Like... I I think, yeah, you do want to see some more explosive plays, but they've had explosive plays. They've had explosive players. You know, you you look at Devin Bush's and Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't think that Donovan Peoples-Jones necessarily had his best showing at the college level, and I think his best football is ahead of him, and that seems apparent. Jabril Peppers. I think that the problem is is more so in some of those big games they don't execute. You see the explosive plays against teams you expect to steamroll, right? Like, we've seen explosive plays. We've seen Nico Collins go out there and do his thing. We've seen, unfortunately, he'll be lining up against Michigan in week two, but we've seen Giles Jackson be explosive. So I don't think that that's quite fair to say. I don't think you could call anything they've done under Jim Harbaugh as explosive. They have. They've been explosive on both sides of the ball. They've been explosive when it comes to the defensive ends. They've had explosive players. I think you're looking for that guy at running back to be explosive because I wouldn't categorize Hassan Haskins as explosive, but Blake Corum supposedly is. Donovan Edwards certainly is. You know, Eric Hall has the capability of being that explosive tight end if he can catch the ball. I think you look up and down the receiving room now. I mean, Ronnie Bell certainly is an explosive player. Cornelius Johnson seems like he is as well. 
You got AJ Henning, Roman Wilson. Those are explosive guys. Andrew Anthony. So I don't think that's quite fair. I think that they do have really good top end speed. You see it every year in the NFL Combine, and P- and Michigan fans lament because they're like, "How is this guy running what he's running?" And yet we are trying to catch up to Ohio State. I think that's fair because I think Ohio State is just got the most team speed of anyone in the league, and I think that Michigan's probably right behind them. But there's other things that have inhibited. All right, last one. When you look at them from the outside, you see a successful program pretty much everywhere, but on the field against their true peers. That's really what it boils down to. They don't need a complete change, but they have to identify what separates their offensive scheme and their development from the programs they expect to beat. This is not a bad program. This is a good program, but they're Michigan, so you can't be good. You uh, you can't just be good. You can't be unremarkable. Uh, I, th- I think that that's pretty much right, right? I think that... W- you can see what's supposed to separate their offensive scheme. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. That's that like, we know what they want to do. And if you look, the problem is you have to use a magnifying glass, but if you look at what they're trying to do and they achieved it against Minnesota, they achieved it in moments against uh, middle Tennessee, except for there was a lot of miscues, you know, they achieved it against Indiana in 2019. They achieved it against Michigan State in 2019. You can see what they're trying to do, the whole the whole speed and space of it all. I know people say, like, where has it been? I mean, you can see it. You can see that they're trying to do it, but that doesn't mean that it's always being executed well. Again, I, I defer back to the idea that they don't necessarily have all the players that they've wanted to. I think you're getting there because now Josh Gaddis is entering his third year. And I think you'll see it a little bit more with A.J. Henning, Roman Wilson types, you know, going out there and being able to do their thing. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards. I mean, heck, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy. I think you've got the pieces to make the offense be what you want it, what what he wants it to be. Right? I, they're trying to modernize, and it just hasn't worked yet. That doesn't mean it won't ever work. They have the players now that can execute a bit of that. It's just a matter of actually executing it. So, uh, but yeah. And I mentioned here in the article, development's been a mixed bag. I think the big issue is you see a lot of really good stuff from a lot of your three-star type guys and not as much from your five-star type guys. So that's that's the thing. You J.J. McCarthy can't go out there and play like Dan Valari, right? He has to go out there and be a superstar because he's a five-star. Like, no one would have had an issue with Donovan Peoples-Jones if he was a three-star or a low four-star. The problem is he was the top-rated wide receiver in his class, which included guys like Jerry Judy and Devonta Smith. You know? You can't go in the sixth round of the draft when that happens. You've got to have a better showing. So, all right, that'll do it for us today. We get players tomorrow in the late afternoon. So my assumption is we will return again in the evening and we'll discuss what we have heard from some of those players. Anyway, thank you for listening. We'll be back then. Peace.
NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.